Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of That's My Jamstack, the podcast where we ask the time-honored question, what is your jam in the Jamstack? I'm your host, Brian Robinson, and this week we talk with Gareth McComsky, a serverless architect at Serverless Inc. Before we dive into the episode, though, I want to thank this week's sponsor, Auth0. We'll talk a bit more about the amazing educational content they're putting out at the end of the episode, but if you're curious about that Jamstack and Auth education, head on over to a0.to slash tmjyt, that's my Jamstack YouTube, for all the videos. Hey, Gareth, thanks for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I just, uh, I love talking about Jamstack stuff, so it was an opportunity not to be missed. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, so you like talking about Jamstack stuff, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? So my uh, work right now is essentially I'm a solutions architect with uh, Serverless Inc., the creators of the serverless framework. Um, and yeah, I, being a small startup means that I kind of do a, a multitude of roles like most folks in the, in the company. Um, so I, I'm involved a lot with helping users of the framework design and, and, and sort of plan out the systems that they, they plan on building with serverless. Um, and the other side of it is as well as I act as a sort of a developer advocate in trying to help spread the word about serverless and related stuff, I guess you can say. Gotcha. Kind of, kind of growing that whole that whole world so that you know people who want serverless might come to serverless in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I find a lot of folks will hear some brief inkling about serverless, not quite sure what it means. And because you know we've been able to produce enough content, they they get a bit better understanding, and then they have questions. So it's nice to be there, sort of for that for the growth period that a lot of devs go through. And I guess on my personal side, uh, uh, I'm. I stick very much into the computer world, so especially with the with the lo, with the global pandemic we've been going through lately. Um, so I, I'm I'm quite an avid gamer, um, yeah, and it's just uh, that's that's kind of that way I let off steam these days. Nice. Are you uh, are you on the PC side, on the console side, or like uh, kind of in between? Well, PC side, which kind of means I never leave the desk, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. What's uh, what's your go to game right now, especially with uh, with pandemic around? Uh, well, it's a typical uh, developer uh, story where I play a game called Factorio. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's essentially an engineering style game where you build a factory and consume resources, and it's a massive problem-solving thing. So I go from working with uh, developers all day long to basically running a little factory. <laughs> <laughs> you go from, from software engineering to real yeah. engineering in software. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Nice. All right. So, so we're talking Jamstack today. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about what was your entry point into this world of Jamstack, or maybe it was, it was static sites. Because I know you've been in the industry for a while. Well, it's uh, one of those interesting situations I found myself in. Um, and, and just a, a bit of context. So, long story. Here we go. Um, I was a lead in a uh, team at a tour company that basically sold all their product online. Um, and with that, they had a, a platform that was built on WordPress that they'd been using for about 10 years. So really showing its age, really legacy when we're talking legacy. Um, and when I joined, they were, they were having some serious issues with performance and so on. So ultimately, we came to the point where we had to re-architect pr pretty much the entire platform. Um, but we needed a way to do things piecemeal as well because we couldn't go down a rabbit hole for a year, come out with something on the other side that maybe didn't fit. They needed to start seeing some return on what we were working on. So... Um, initially, after spending a bunch of time looking at stuff, I, um, I found Serverless, which was kind of my gateway into Jamstack side of things. And looking 
looking at building, uh, you know, the the whole uh, functions as a service became very attractive, especially when you're in a team of about two or three developers where none of you have massive DevOps experience. Um, myself, I can kind of spin up a web server when I need to and keep it up to date, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily trust myself, you know, the massive production cluster and so on. Um, so that became a little tricky for us, and serverless seemed like the right answer for that. But serverless doesn't come without its own uh, own way of doing things. Um, and, and traditionally for me, I had come from the world of big, fat PHP frameworks that handled everything, uh, you know, rendered, rendered everything on server and pushed that out to the browser. Uh, so it was really going back to my roots when I was looking at serverless and realized that probably the best way to attack this would be to build uh, backend APIs with serverless and have a completely static front end running something like Vue or React or whatever, uh, and have that calling this API backend. Because the API backend is really where we were concerned about load the most. Um, and this led us to start building a solution like this where we could have a team focus on building a, a nice front end uh, and have, uh, well, a couple of guys building a front end and myself and maybe I think it was one of the uh, engineer we were working on the back end, small team. Um, and this worked incredibly well for us. We had uh, an, an entire CICD process. Uh, things were going uh, really nice. And the first time I heard Jamstack was about, about I don't know, uh, nine months into doing this. We we attended a conference and somebody gave a talk about Jamstack. And, and the four of us sat in this talk looking at each other throughout this entire description going, that's what we did. <laughs> So it was a very interesting way, and, and and I think one of the one of the key things that we talked about afterwards was how was going back to our roots as as people building stuff for the web seemed to be the best solution all along. Just building static uh, HTML, J JavaScript, and CSS, and having APIs to call to. Yeah. So an interesting thing that, that you kind of said, kind of in the in the, the beginning of this story, uh, which is I think different from what a lot of people have said about their kind of intro into the Jamstack, was you actually started with this idea that we need serverless functions, we need functions as a service. Whereas most people are saying, you know, hey, I am already using Vue or I'm already using React. So I got into this thing called Gatsby or I got into this thing called Gridsome. Um, and that was my entry point. Or, you know, I, I like HTML, so I got into Jekyll or something along those lines. Where, it's a, where you're kind of saying, you know what? We don't want a monolith on the server. We want to break it up. And then, oh, what are these other things we can do to attach it? Is that kind of a, a good representation of, of what, you were, what you were going there? Yeah, it was interesting because there was some other things we were looking at sort of uh, at the same time. I was really doing a big investigation into microservices as well because this was back in 2016 as well, just to give it a little bit more context. So microservices was kind of new and coming out and there were a few books written and it was growing in popularity. And when looking at microservices, the one thing that struck me instantly was how, com how complex the infrastructure behind it looked. So microservices looked really complex for us to try and use, um, and we didn't feel confident in our skills, you know, in managing all this amount of infrastructure, um, as I mentioned. And serverless just seemed a great answer for that. And very quickly, we realized that building a backend with something like serverless wasn't just about the functions as a service, because Lambda was that new thing that I'd seen at an AWS event, which sort of struck uh, struck me as well, and ultimately led me when I was investigating serverless to realize that this was using Lambda. Um, but it's also all about the other services that you end up consuming as well, which you build upon, and that essentially replaces the need for this massive monolithic backend server. Um, 
one of the things I point out to folks is that when you're building an application, there's there's really three th- three main things that you need. You need some way to receive a request, some some HTTP endpoint. You need some way to compute, uh, and you need some way to store data. That's ultimately, and then of course uh, the fourth part I guess would be the response back, which would be the static uh, pages that you're providing to users to to consume. But ultimately, with an API, you have those three components. We need to receive a request, you need to compute a response, and you need to store data. And when you look at serverless, uh, especially on the AWS side, which is what I'm most familiar with, uh, you have AWS Lambda, which kind of started a lot of this, DynamoDB, which ends up being a fantastic serverless data store, uh, and API Gateway, which becomes that front end that you need that can handle that scale and load. and then you've got your pick of the static uh, static site uh, uh, web servers out there. Everything from S3 uh, to you know, there's there's a whole bunch of options out there to store static sites. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. So uh, so obviously that was how you were using the Jamstack professionally back when you were doing that. How are you using the Jamstack professionally now and also personally? Personally. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of use things in a very similar way. Um, so. Right now, pretty much all the sites that I build end up uh, with a stat. All the stat, all the front end sits in a static uh, store somewhere, like an S3 with a cloud front in front of it, um, and the API backend. The difference has become uh, the difference now is that the um, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm traditionally from the backend, so that's why my focus tends to be on on backend infrastructure. Um, I, I'm just more adept at that, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of skill that, that goes into building a good front end, and I just haven't had the time to really focus on that. I mean, that's a, it's a massive world to delve into. Um, but for example, uh, my, my backends now for my APIs uh, tend to be microservices-based. And with tools like, uh, like you know, with the cloud and AWS um, and many other cloud providers as well, you can build really sophisticated uh, backend services with beautiful asynchronous communications between them that let you uh, defer all sorts of load and uh, issues that you may normally experience into asynchronous processes that kind of execute when they feel like it, when they've got capacity. Uh, which is fantastic. It just means that when you have that that buzz of traffic at eight in the morning from your customers because you sent them a mass email, you can handle what you need to in the front end because S3 or all these other site generators can handle the HTML and CSS they need to push out. But your back end is just deferring all the processing it needs to. And it's a pretty interesting way to build things. Yeah, yeah, it definitely it, it can it can be kind of a, a a web to weave in your mind, but it works incredibly well on the actual technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, doing things like uh, receiving an API call, and uh, it's interesting because I've had this discussion with other folks as well, where they talk about things like, you know, if somebody wants to edit their profile, this is a silly example where, you know, they change their email address and they hit save, they expect that to be saved immediately. And when the page refreshes, they're expecting that to be the representation of what's in the data store in the back end. Meantime, it doesn't have to be. That could just be what's cached locally. And the front end knows, I've told the back end to store this. It told me it's going to at some point. I trust it. I'm just going to tell the user this is what the email address is now because the backend's told me that's what it's going to be. It's a very optimistic way of you know, storing these things. Um, meantime, that backend's been designed in a way that it's just absorbing all this traffic uh, as it can. And yeah, things just work really beautifully. Nice. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious. So, so I don't think we have had uh, someone who, who's probably heavier on the backend um, on the show, I think I think for the most part we've had some full stack developers, and we've definitely had a slew of front end developers. So, if, if you were to t- talk to a a pure back end developer, maybe like kind of how you were 2015, 2016, you know, having a big PHP stack or even like a .NET or something like that, um, 
how would they how, how should they think about transitioning to something like Jamstack with you know various serverless pieces? Yeah, it's interesting. We had to do this actually with uh, the tour company that I was working for at the time. Um, and and one of the things we one thing I always suggest first of all is to start with a basic POC, something something that's concrete, so it's not meaningless, but not something that's critical. So you don't want to go uh, POC your checkout process because that could affect the bottom line. Bad idea. Uh, but POC is something like, for example, we had a review system that people could leave reviews for the tours they had gone on. And the review system is important for the, for conversion of sale. But if it happens to fall over, it's not the end of the world. People can still check out. We can still sell things on the site and so on. So ultimately, that was our stepping stone into the world of Jamstack and serverless. We extracted this widget that we had in multiple places across the site, turned that into essentially a component for the front end that had a back-end component, which was an API. Um, and that's how we how we PSC'd that, just this one one small component. And ultimately, that was a massive success for us um, and proved out the technology. And we took the next step where we went through the site and looked at some of the content we had for things like the About Us page or Company Values page. And that, those, that kind of content that does have changes at times, but changes very infrequently. It's not a product page that might change in you know within within seconds with the price and reviews and any any, any other information. Uh, so the next step was to, ex to uh, extract those out, turn those into static pages with some kind of CMS backend, but not something that needed to be to the second with updates that you could let generate in the background whenever it needed to, and it would pretty much just sit there statically. Um, and again, that was that, that, that for us was the proof of concept for the front end now, because we'd just done a small component, now we were proving the front end, and that worked beautifully. Um, and you just keep going. You, then we started converting product pages. Then we converted checkout. And you just keep taking these pieces at a time. Basically, the strangler pattern, uh, if anybody's familiar with that, uh, we just take one piece at a time. And with a tool like uh, CloudFront or any other CDN, uh, CloudFront was what we were using at the time, CloudFront was set up to default to root. So it would go to the WordPress uh, installation by default. But we could use the URL structure of our site to break apart each piece one at a time. And... Initially, we were manually entering these URL endpoints like slash about us, and they would point at an S3 bucket. Slash company values would point at an S3 bucket. S root slash would just point at the WordPress uh, instance that was sitting on an EC2 instance. So that allowed us the way to sort of break things apart and point traffic at the right locations while we were building. Interesting. So yeah, I, th I don't think we've had anybody talk about about that. Uh, we've talked about like breaking up monoliths into microservices, but like literally breaking up the front end too is a very interesting thing. Like, oh, I've got WordPress. Mm. We can't completely migrate away from it for X, Y, and Z yet. But you know, our about page doesn't need to be a, a database generated page. Our company values, like, let's just redirect that via our CDN, and that's a, a really interesting take on that. Uh, what would you say is kind of your, your overall jam in the Jamstack? What's your favorite service? Obviously you work for a service that's a pretty big service in the Jamstack, but, uh, what's your favorite service? What's your favorite, uh, philosophy or framework? And then like, what just makes you love the Jamstack and it's going to keep you working in this space for a while? Hmm, where to begin? Um, <laughs> all right. So I, I guess the biggest overall one, and, and, and we've already pointed out, I'm very much sort of the backend guy. Um, but the thing I love the most, and this is going to sound strange being a guy who likes to build uh, backends, but I don't like code necessarily. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds bizarre, but code is, is actually the weakest part of any application. And a lot of developers, especially uh, 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 
But a lot of developers are probably going to raise their eyebrows at that because that's what we get paid for. Isn't that what we get paid for to write code? Um, when really it's not. What, a, what any business wants, and I've, it's, it's taken me most of my career to realize this, but what most businesses want is they want a solution that solves their problems. They ultimately don't really care where it comes from as long as it's reliable and it's done within some reasonable time frame and cost. Uh, then they're happy, um, and that's what Jamstack and 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 serverless as well. Just uh, you know, as, as part of that, has really helped me build uh, with, with all the solutions that I have. Um, I, I I normally uh, you know uh, espouse the mantra of serverless first or uh, Jamstack first as well. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Is instead of writing code for, for a solution, see if there's an existing service out there that can solve the problem for you. And usually it's going to be reasonably priced and pay per use. So you don't have to worry about this massive, uh, you know, albatross around your neck. Um, and ultimately what it gives you is a way to solve a problem that you don't have to maintain over time, that you don't have to make sure that whoever you hire into the position will know how to work on and code for. Um, and a simple example of this is if you look at a very basic uh, API, for example, with something like API Gateway, a Lambda function, and DynamoDB, the Lambda function itself is probably going to end up being, if you have a simple CRUD application, let's just call it a, 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 a create user uh, endpoint as an example. If you have a POST request for that, you set up API Gateway. API Gateway is going to receive an HTTP request. It's going to handle the HTTPS for you. You can configure API keys so you can restrict or, or restrict access to it automatically. You don't have to worry about that. It'll manage load for you. There's no load balancing involved in it at all. Uh, I sound like I'm selling API Gateway, but I'm just talking <laughs> through the, the basic features of an API Gateway. But the biggest thing that it does as well is routing. And often routing has been one of those things left for the big fat frameworks to do for you in code which sounds great, except now you have a dependency on code that somebody else manages. Whereas now uh, with something like API Gateway, this is a running service inside a cloud vendor that is executed. There's nothing, you don't have to worry about that uh, open source project maintaining uh, the routing mechanism. This is done as part of a service. It's built for you. Uh, that's that's the way it works. And what this means is my Lambda function now isn't, isn't resolving routes. It's just receiving event data. It's just receiving an HTTP request. And similarly, if you if you look further down into uh, data storage, using a tool like DynamoDB, for example, is a key, essentially at its most basic form, is a key value data store. It's a little bit more advanced than that, but we just say it's that for now. Um, what's really nice about this is that it has an API, a very simple API that you can send requests to, and ultimately um, there is no ORM necessarily involved. Um, so you're writing basic API calls to a data store in the back end, and a Lambda function is going to probably be about a tenth the size of your regular uh, amount of code that you would have uh, sitting even in a non-monolithic framework these days. So that for me is the biggest one, is the reduction in code. Yeah, and I think I think that's an interesting way of putting it too, because uh, anyone who has viewed my code at least knows it's the weakest link in my application. Um, but on top of that, like if you look at it and you say, you know, I'm I'm a web developer that excels at writing X type of feature, but you know what I'm really bad at is writing auth. Like auth is an incredibly complicated, very security heavy specialization in code. I should not be writing that. Oh, I can go find you know one of these two or three, four different services that will provide auth for me in a very compact API driven way, which I think uh, uh, is probably for the best for a lot of web developers out there. Yeah, uh, that's one of those things I think developers are really bad at writing, uh, really bad at security. And it's no fault of developers. It's actually a fault of our education in the industry. Um, it's kind of like, I'll worry about security when I'm done. 
um, which is probably not what you should be doing. But you know that's that's where we have problems to solve. We have solutions to build. We'll worry about securing it later. Um, but yeah, I mean things like Auth0 will will hand you essentially an entire um, a solution to handle auth. And I've built my own custom authorization services, even in the Jamstack itself. It's not an easy task. You're constantly maintaining it. Even I, I'm maintaining it to this day, uh, unfortunately. Um, and if I just used uh, the, the service that was available to me, I probably wouldn't have to do that. I'd save myself a lot of time and effort. And my, you know, the users of the system would be probably a lot happier too. Yep. And you even mentioned something something that the nowadays, at least, uh, with with a lot of the modern tooling, seem you know super easy, right? Which is managing HTTP versus HTTPS. Hmm. Uh, but like even three four years ago, you know, I was managing servers and having to you know deal with okay, well, let me figure out let's encrypt and let's make sure that that bot is running at the appropriate speed and the appropriate time. Uh, and that was a huge headache. And now it's a, literally just a, a Boolean field in you know most of these cloud providers. Like, yes, please handle HTTPS for me. And even I, I mean, I've been around in the days before Let's Encrypt, and that was that was <laughs> yeah. an absolute nightmare. It, it actually got to the point I don't even know how to set up HTTPS anymore on a on a web server because back then I would go down that rabbit hole, hand it over to the to the uh, sysadmin to, to finish it up for me because I was putting my hair out. Yep. Uh, Let's Encrypt solve that problem to a large degree for servers, but it's still not an easy task. And it's something you have to either set up an automated process for or come back to every three months uh, to, to renew those certificates. But, you know, the, the cloud vendors just completely take that away from you again. Um, and, it, and it becomes so much easier to set up. Yeah. I mean, granted, it was my entry point into learning how to do cron jobs and some other stuff. I, I, I owe some education to doing uh, mm. uh, SSH. But, yeah, it was uh, SSL. It was, it was definitely uh, a trial in a lot of ways. So uh, what would you actually say in, in terms of musical jam? What, what is your musical jam right now? What's your favorite song or your favorite musician? So lately I've gotten into a new band and I've always been a bit of a metalhead. So um, anybody who's not into, into that kind of music, I do apologize. Um, <laughs> but uh, lately there's a really great band I've, I've, I've heard called Ginger. Um, and anybody who's not familiar with them, I would suggest looking up the song on YouTube called Pisces. Uh, by Ginger. It's a nice surprise uh, when you get to watch that. It's pretty infamous in YouTube circles now for being one of those uh, React uh, videos that you surprise a YouTuber with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just one of those bands that have really impressed me with their uh, the entire band. I mean, the the vocalist, she's absolutely incredible, has an, an amazing voice, um, and just ultimately the entire band works together like an oiled machine. They're absolutely amazing at what they do. So it was one of those things that really impresses me is when an entire band works together so well that not a single one of them sort of stands above the others. They're all just absolutely awesome. Yeah, and that that, take, that takes a lot in the uh, in the music world not to have that ego to like be able to mesh like that. Yeah, it's always nice to see their interaction on stage and so on as well, where they're all trying to have their moment in the in the in, in the sun essentially, trying to show what they can do uh, without it being you know over the top. It's not it's not the fifteen minute drum solo, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nice. So, uh, so is there anything that you'd like to promote and get out to the Jamstack? Something you're doing, or something Serverless wants to talk about at all? Uh, well, on the Serverless side, there's something that I can mention. Uh, front end folks, because you mentioned there's a large audience of, of front end developers that uh, listen to the show or have been on the show at least as well. Uh, one thing I can mention that that is really great is that we're we're in the middle of working on a really great project called Components right now. Um, and this is different. If folks have known the serverless framework from 2015, where we released the, the actual serverless framework itself, it's a fantastic tool. It does a lot of great stuff for building, uh, for doing backend work and so on. 
help orchestrate all of these uh, services and so on in AWS. Um, but what we found is that while it's great at doing that and it simplifies things a bunch, serverless as a concept is very new and different enough that it's kind of a barrier to entry for a lot of folks. And especially if you're not already a, if you haven't been building backend solutions for a long time, um, it's unfair. Just, you know, I, 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 I I would hope no one would expect me to just dive right into Vue and React and Angular and know my way around in exactly the same way that, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff when dealing with, with backend code and, and applications. Um, but one of the things that Components does is that it takes the idea of serverless and boils it down into a nice consumable package with very little configuration. And you can actually go to the point of um, uh, configuring a a solution in serverless with about three lines of configuration, a single CLI command, and you've essentially deployed your Jamstack application into the cloud. Um, yeah, it's it's actually pretty awesome. Um, I've been playing with it a lot myself, and we we are actually it's one of those things we've built for other teams, and we're using it ourselves now. Um, and it's it's really awesome because what it and, and this is this sounds like hyperbole, but it really isn't because ultimately I can go to uh, uh, can I can I drop a URL? Oh yeah, go for it. So uh, folks can just go to app.serverless.com, which is our online platform. And once you've signed up, uh, you can go and create uh, any of the existing components. And there's new ones coming out all the time. But one of the ones I can point to is, for example, the full stack application, which ultimately what this gives you is a command to run in the CLI to install and initialize your, your application that you want to create, your full stack app. And this full stack app contains essentially four components. One is for a front end. So we call it the website component. The other... The other is an Express API. So if you know anything about Express, you can actually just spin up your own sort of Express uh, backend with an as an API. Uh, a a, a da- database component for DynamoDB, as well as permissions that set up all the permissions you need in AWS. And you can just go in and you can you can deploy it immediately because it has a working front end, back end, and everything else that it needs, and just play around with that in, in your own AWS account. Or you can go ahead and edit it. You can point it at your own React, Vue, whatever code. Uh, when you run the deploy command, it'll automatically uh, build your front end. It'll automatically connect to AWS and push everything into S3, into Lambda, into API Gateway, all these things that you need to run this application, and then give you spit a URL, a CloudFront URL at the end for you to go and try your application. It's, it's, it's really as simple as that. that that's very cool, because I find that one of, the, one of the easiest ways to get into a new technology, especially a new architecture uh, technology, is to find an opinionated source and then like use that opinionated source, edit it until I feel comfortable with it, and then kind of I can roll my own at that point. Yeah, and that's exactly the point. Um, over the years, we've seen a lot of folks come into serverless with Express as an expectation. And while the serverless framework can be used to deploy Express applications just as they are, it's kind of a bit of a bit of a faff to use. It's, you know, you've got to configure things... You've got to configure things a certain way. Uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a bit of a hassle. Um, so the idea with the Express component, for example, is that you can literally just point it at that app.js file, which contains your, your Express routing, and off it goes. It's into Lambda and works as intended. Um, and the idea there, again, is, as you said, if folks will get into this. They'll start using their application. Things will run well. And that's the other, that's the other thing that was difficult for me to figure out about this philosophy that you asked me before, because Jamstack and serverless is incredibly forgiving. You can do things kind of okay, and it and it runs well anyway. And if it doesn't, if it stops running well, you can tweak it in ways that'll make it run better. 
And once you once you become steeped and understand the technology, you can then rebuild pieces of it at a time because that's what you did anyway. You started building pieces. You can replace those pieces with more optimized versions of them later down the road. And it becomes incredibly easy to do that. It's so super forgiving. Just try stuff out. Um, and that's where a lot of folks will come and say, you know, how do I get into doing serverless? I say, just try it. Just do something with it. Even if it, even if it's going to be, even if it's uh, the worst possible solution you could think of building with serverless, it's probably still going to work and it'll probably still work okay. And that's okay. Okay is fine. Uh, just change it later. Yeah. Uh, okay means that you have shipped something that somebody needed and it's out there. Yeah. And... Yeah, your users, all they want is a working solution. They don't necessarily need the the, the, the the best crafted, highly engineered, fanciest solution that you can come up with. They just want something that works. All right. Well, Gareth, I appreciate you coming on the show today. And I hope you keep doing some amazing things at Serverless as well as just kind of in the in the general web dev backend world. Yeah, well, that's the goal. Um, I'm hoping we can get there. <laughs> Thanks again to Gareth for the awesome conversation. And thanks to you, our dear listeners, for tuning in week after week. Be sure to star, heart, favorite, or, you know, review or whatever in your podcast app of choice to spread the word. Now it's sponsor time. This week, we're lucky to have Auth0 back as our sponsor. Auth0 is an amazing authentication platform, but they also have a wealth of amazing content coming out regularly on their YouTube channel, including a free course called Full Stack Jamstack with Next.js. If you're interested in learning more about Next, taking the Jamstack further, or authentication on the Jamstack, head over to a0.to slash tmjyt. That's, that's my Jamstack YouTube, tmjyt, for all their YouTube videos. That's it for this week. Until next time, keep doing amazing things on the web and keep things jammy. <laughs>